This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'm going to be reading Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, honey. I don't call all scripture readers honey, just those that are my wife, just so you know, if you're visiting here today. Uh, well, good morning. morning. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit this morning, uh, start by talking about how the better we get to know something, the more we can appreciate it. So several years back now, Grant did a paper in college, and he did it on uh, the Vietnam War and the Vietnam War and how it affected Vietnam vets. Uh, And my dad is a Vietnam vet. So Grant spent, I don't know, man, several uh, hours in interviews with my dad, trying to talk with him and get to know, hear some of the stories. And uh, it was really cool to see that as Grant got to know my dad better, the more Grant appreciated my dad and what he went through. I mean, he heard stories I never heard growing up. Dad didn't talk a lot about it growing up. But, you know, years have passed now when he feels more free to do that. And so Grant and dad got really close because the more Grant learned about uh, my dad, the more I appreciated him. And a lot of things are like that. The more you know about it, the more you appreciate it. That really became evident during the, the World Cup because I know nothing about soccer. <laughs> and so, therefore, I appreciate it very little. And as I'm watching, and I did watch, so we were just happened to be eating lunch, and the Croatia versus Japan game was on and a few, years, a few uh, weeks ago. And so I, I watched that, and for the most of it, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, what are they doing? And... But if you know soccer and you appreciate soccer, you're watching that like, oh, yeah, that was a great pass. And oh, yeah, that was a great soccer move and everything else. And I don't know. Uh, but the shootout was fun. Like, that was cool. That I understood, you know. And so, but anyway, uh, the more you know about it, the more you appreciate it. And what we're trying to do this Christmas season is to help you appreciate what is very common. Familiarity can breed contempt if you're not careful. So what we want to do is fill you with knowledge about this whole event and what happened and really focus on the theology and specifically the Christology. What does this teach us about Jesus? 
And so we talked about the humanity of Christ. And last week, we talked about the deity or the godness of Christ. And today, we're going to talk about how those two things work together. You know, really simple, easy sermon to prepare and think about. How the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ can be two natures but dwell in one person. Uh, By the way, do you know the theological term for that? hypostatic union. So we're talking about the hypostatic. Yeah, theology geeks are like, yes, I love it. I love theology. But uh, it, is, it is important to know. So let's start with this. What does that mean? Let's talk about the theology of the person of Christ, the theology of the person of Christ. I'm using that very carefully. It's two natures in one person, a human nature, fully man, and a, a divine nature, fully God, but in one person, Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do to help us understand it, this is probably the text that addresses it most clearly. And I want to dive in. We're going to start kind of in the middle where he talks about the hypostatic union, where he addresses this issue, kind of what took place. And then we're going to go back and say, okay, so what? And why is Paul bringing this up? We'll go back to the top and then we'll end where Paul ends at the end. So right now I want your eyes to fall on verse number five. And you see the challenge. We're going to focus on the challenge a little bit later. But look at verse number five. It says, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so we know he died on the cross. To die on a cross, God can't die. And so God became man, and that becoming man is what we call the incarnation. So what I first of all I want to talk about is this, what this passage teaches. What does this passage teach us? What is it saying? Well, it's saying that Jesus took on flesh. Jesus became man. And when I say man, I mean fully man, 100% human. Jesus was and is fully percent man. And you see it in the way he did it. He didn't just show up in his 30s and lead a group of people and then die a death on the cross. He didn't just do that. He didn't just show up as even a kid and then just find a family and adopt himself into that and go. No, the whole process, we're talking about a a, a fetal stage and and growing in the womb and birth and newborn stage and toddler stage and, and all of that, adolescence. I mean, Jesus experienced all of that. And I want you to know a big reason why he did is so that he can understand what you have lived and what you have experienced but he was 100% fully man. He experienced the whole thing. I also want you to know this. It wasn't temporary. I think to really understand this, a lot of people have this in mind that when Jesus ascended into heaven, well, then he went back to the form that he was prior to his incarnation, and that's not what happened. He was born in a body. That body was crucified and died. But think about this. He was resurrected how? In a body. He ascended how? in a body. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in a body. So he took on, this was a a permanent incarnation when he took on human flesh. It's hard to understand that because at the same time, he never ceased to be God. 
in where people get into troubles when they try to get their minds around this and try to find a way to explain it, kind of the Trinity. Remember we talked about that last week? How if you try to explain the Trinity, you end up into heresy. And when you try to explain the hypostatic union, you end up into heresy. So let's cover this, what this passage does not teach. I think it's important to say that because there are some theologies floating around today that try to make sense of this, but end up doing uh, the theology injustice and really end up into heresy. So one of them is what's called the kenosis theory, and it's from this text. This passage is called the kenosis of Christ. Kenosis is a Greek word for emptying. He emptied himself. And it's from that very word. He emptied himself, it says there. But what is taught is that he emptied himself of being omnipotent. He emptied himself of being omniscient. He emptied himself of being omnipresent. And, and so therefore, he, 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 he let go of some of those things. But that's impossible. Because he's God. And if he's God, he cannot be anything other than all-powerful. If he's God, he cannot be anything other than all-knowing. He's all these things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. And we see glimpses of this in the Gospels. Like I said last week, he showed his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, when he calmed the seas with the word. He did it. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He did We see his uh, omniscience when he knows the hearts of men and he knew the hearts of men. The hardest one probably is omnipresent. Like how can you be in a body and still be omnipresent? However, it worked. Jesus saw Nathaniel under the tree when he was miles away. So he never let go of being God. And yet the Bible also teaches that there were times when you really see his humanity. Like here's Mark 11, 12, which says this. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was what? Hungry. So he made some fried chicken, and uh, that's what I would do if I had so much fried chicken, if I had the power of Jesus. It'd be ridiculous. But anyway, he was hungry. How can God get hungry? But he got hungry. This is really interesting. This is a John 4. I love John 4 so much there. But it says this, beginning of John 4 says, uh, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, check this out, wearied as he was from his journey. Wearied? How can an omnipotent, all-powerful God get tired? But the text shows he was fully man. He experienced weariness. He experienced hunger. This is an interesting one in John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus. You know how he died when they were away and then Jesus comes, he meets Mary and Martha and all that and they're weeping and crying and why when you were there. And, and, then, and then after he meets Mary and Martha, this happens. And he said, where have you laid him? Why did Jesus have to ask that question? Wasn't he all knowing? Didn't he know exactly? In fact, didn't he make the very cave in which he was laid? And yes, he did. And yet, in his humanity, he didn't know where he was. And he had to ask the question, where have you laid him? So how do you figure all that out? (laughs) How is that all possible? How do you wrap your mind around the fact that he was fully God? And you have to understand, he never ceased to be fully God. And yet, he was fully man. And please know, he never ceased to be fully man. And how does that all work together? And the, here's the answer. It's really easy. Are you ready for this? Here's, it's going to make it all that. I don't know. Say that with me, would you please? I don't know. Tell your neighbor. I don't know. Actually, tell your neighbor, you don't know. Tell, tell them that. <laughs> 
We don't know how it all fits together. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about a life in faith, life in faith. Because here's the reality of it. Here's two truths that are simultaneously true, and they're true of us. We just have to admit them this morning. Number one, we don't like living life by faith. You willing to admit that with me this morning? We don't like it. I don't like not knowing. I don't like not having it figured out. And for some of you, the smarter you are, the more you don't like not knowing. So far in my life, I've been able to get my mind around it and figure it out. I'm not saying that, by the way, because I was in pre-trig and I failed it. So I've not figured it all out. But this is, this is how we are. You know, it's like, I hate when that unexpected bill comes and I don't know how I'm going to pay it. I would really rather God just have that unexpected check come that meets the amount of that unexpected bill immediately so that I know exactly how it's all going to, because I don't like living by faith. So that, are you with me on this? We don't like living by faith. But here's a, a truth that's also true. God loves it when we live by faith. God wants us to trust him. And you can go all throughout the Bible and see this is true over and over again. He wants you to live by faith. As I read through the Psalms, and I read through them a lot, I'm always amazed by how he wants us to cry on him when we're in trouble, believing that he will deliver. That's what God wants. God wants you to trust him so much that when you're in trouble, you cry out to him to deliver you. It's what he wants. In fact, the Bible is really, really clear about that in Hebrews chapter 11, which says this, and without faith, it is church impossible to please him. But those who would draw near must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And that's what we have to believe. We have to really put our hearts and our minds around, this is our God, this is who he is. Here's the good news in all of that. God can be trusted. He absolutely can be trusted. So I want you to tell your neighbor that. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He's proven it time and time again. For as many of these instances that we have where we can't figure it out and we need faith to close that gap, there's so much more that's so clear and evident. We need very little faith. I think it takes very little faith to believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Because when you study creation, it's very evident, designed by someone really, really smart who gave us chicken and let us fry it. Can I get a witness? Oh, God's people, sad. Now, I'm seriously, I'm peeling potatoes yesterday, and I'm like, peeling potatoes? I'm like, potatoes are awesome. And we can eat them, and they're delicious. And he gave us cows with milk that we can turn into butter and put in the potatoes. Our God's so, I love to eat, all right? So our God is good. That's common grace. My pancreas works. I breathe air, and so do millions of other people who hate God, and yet God says he gives common grace, and you see common grace all around you. And then you think of some very, very specific things that God's word predicts that comes to be true. God said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus' family was from Nazareth. But this census just happens to come out at the right time, bringing Mary and Joseph to where, church? Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And just so many predictions. You can look at there just millions of predictions. Not like Nostradamus, who would say something like, and the child shall bring forth hair, and Mike baby had hair. Nostradamus was right. Nothing like that. I'm talking about real, actual, specific predictions that came about and were true and we can look at them today. So, there's, so this, this is the theology, fully God and fully man, fully God and fully man. 
So let me just, just pause for a second and kind of application initially to ask you, how is your faith walk going? It, it's not like it's easy. It's not like it doesn't take a lot of prayer and a lot of work and a lot of labor to keep your faith where it needs to be and to have God help you with your faith. And I feel oftentimes like the centurion who said, I believe, help my unbelief. But we want to lean in to our God and trust him more. All right, so how does supply? Like, okay, so, so he was... In, in heaven, he was God, a fully God, and then he took on flesh. He was found in the form of, of, of humanity. Okay, so what? Why is that so important? Well, so Paul brings it up here. Okay, so he brings it up. We read that in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. So we read very clearly, he's talking about this hypostatic union, this incarnation of Jesus Christ. But why is Paul addressing it? Why is he talking about that? Well, there's a challenge here, and that's the next point, the challenge from the person of Christ, the challenge from the person of Christ. And so what I want to do is kind of pull back a little bit and to see what Paul is doing here. And uh, let's look at it together a little bit. And let's start in verse number two, because the challenge really comes here in verse number two. So go back to verse number two. We're going to hit verse one hard in a minute. But let's look at verse two right now. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. So this was the challenge was live in humility, live in humility. And I don't know what was going on in the church at Philippi, uh, but they needed to hear, look, you really, really need to put on humility. And if that was true then, hello, for us today, we really, really, really need the challenge to put on humility because our culture is massively pushing you to really think a lot about yourself and frequently about yourself and highly about yourself. And, and it ends up in bad, bad places. Uh, I'm not sure anyone else encapsulates living in our culture today better than Muhammad Ali did. You remember Muhammad Ali? I'm getting a lot of blank stares. I'm so old. But Muhammad Ali was a boxer. Yeah, a boxer. And he was a very arrogant, confident boxer. He said things like this. I'm the greatest, he would say. I'm the greatest. I'm a bad, bad man, he would say. Uh, He would say this. I float like a butterfly. I sting like a bee. Uh, I love this quote. It shows his cleverness. He says, if you even dream about beating me, you better wake up and apologize. (laughs) Uh, But probably one of the most telling quotes that he uh, said was this. It's a lack of faith that makes people afraid of meeting challenges. And by the way, yes, I agree with that. It is a lack of faith. But how he ends is where concerns. And I believed in myself. And you're told to do that. Watch TV this week. And you're going to hear how the greatest Christmas gift you can give is confidence in yourself and belief in yourself and living out your dream and self-actualization and all these things. You're going to be told that over and over again. This is what God says. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble 
I got to admit to you that this is like massively challenging for Jamie Hart. The older I grow, the more arrogant I find myself that I really am in my heart. Can I say that? Is it okay to admit that this morning? And right now the elders, we're working through a book on humility. And that's because we're realizing we need, we need help with humility. And we need our eyes open to new depths of our humility. And when you see the humility of Jesus, which is the point of the text. Now, let me, let me tell you how he gets there. So, because I can sit up here and I can say, be humble. So go do it. How's that going to go for you? How long is it going to take you tomorrow to screw up the humility thing? I'll time you. We'll see how it goes. It's not going to go well for any of us. But that's not what Paul argues. I want you to see how he makes this argument. And it's really, really interesting. He does it with an if-then statement. If-then. If these things are true, then this must be true. Love those. Use them a lot in Excel, by the way. If you want to have a class on that sometime, you can pay me to do that. But if then, if then, if this is true, then this must be true as well. And in the Greek, it's even stronger. It's a first-class conditional clause. And that first-class conditional clause means this. If this is true, <laughs> and it is true, then this should be the result. It's like me saying to you, if the sky is blue and the sky is blue, then you know what blue is. Actually, this time of the year, I need to say, if the sky is gray and it is gray. But you get the idea. It's like, it's so true. It's so obvious that it's true, man. We're going to put that on and we're going to believe that. So, so what are the statements he makes? He's saying, if these things are true, if they're true, let's go back to verse number one. And I want to show you each of these as we just take this apart phrase by phrase. So here's Philippians chapter two, verse number one. So if, see the if there? So if, and really so since would be a better way of saying it. So since this is true. So write this phrase down, because I have received so much from humility, because I have received received so much from humility. And this is where Paul is going to go. It's really cool. And this is like how the hypostatic union of Jesus impacts your life today. And it really, really does. Because from this truth, from this theology, the fact that God put on flesh because that's true, then here's what's true. If there's any encouragement in Christ. So write this down. See, I have encouragement in Christ. I have encouragement in Christ. Think about that for a minute. You can be encouraged in Jesus. The word encouraged there is parakaleo in the Greek. And parakaleo literally means to come alongside to help. It's used of the Holy Spirit. But it's really illustrated in the story of the, um, the Good Samaritan. Remember the story? where the guy was on the road, he had been beaten, he'd been robbed, and all these righteous religious people pass him by and don't give him the time of day because he's a Samaritan. And no, so he, he, was, he was beaten and bloodied and all that. Then a Samaritan who they despise, a Samaritan was walking by. And the Samaritan then gives, picks him up, puts him on his donkey and rides him into the inn and pays for him in the inn, pays for medicine and gives of himself, sacrifices of himself to care for that person, getting nothing in return. This is the idea behind this phrase. And, and, and so pause for a second. Have you received that kind of help? Has Jesus come alongside you even though you were broken and beaten and despised and left for dead and Jesus comes and he rescued you? I remember in November of 1987 when uh, Brian Peters, my Sunday school teacher, was talking about, I mean, 
even forget what in Sunday school, but I just kind of realized, I'm not saved. I need Jesus. And I said afterwards, hey, would you help me accept Jesus? And he said, no. No, he said, of course, yes, I would love to. And we sat down at the back of the church, and he showed me uh, the gospel. And I believed, and I prayed. And, and I couldn't save myself, but Jesus helped me. And he had already given his life for me and already rose again. And I believed that and I was, I was helped. But here's the good news, man. That wasn't just that day. And then I left on my own to pick myself up by the bootstraps and go along. Are you kidding me? Jesus helps me every day. Every day. When I come to him and he comes alongside me and I find, well, how can he do that? Because he is fully man and he gets what I'm going through. And yet he's fully God who had victory over it all and who loves me anyway. And he can come to me and he can go to Andrew and he can go to Blake, he can go to all of us and because he's God and he's omnipresent. So I have encouragement today from Christ because of the hypostatic union, because of the incarnation of Christ. I have this, write this down. I have comfort from love. That's the next phrase, right? So I have encouragement in Christ. If there is, or since there is encouragement in Christ, and there is, since there is comfort from love. This word comfort is very similar, but it's a little bit different, has a little different angle on it. The idea is to lean in close and speak tenderly to someone, to lean in close and to speak tenderly. So if Courtney was sad or depressed, I, as her husband, would come and I'd sit with her, and if I'm doing it right, if I'm not doing it right, I'm playing Star Wars, but if I'm doing it right, I'm leaning in, I'm saying, honey, I love you, I'm so sorry you're walking through this, and I'm here to do this with you and I'm leaning in, and I'm speaking tenderly. That's what this word means in the original language. And that's talking about who? Jesus. Do you feel the closeness of Jesus when you're walking through difficulty? Man, I can tell you, there have been seasons where I, I would not have made it through unless Jesus leaned in. Loss of a child, house fire, church splits, hard, difficult times, wife struggling with cancer, being in twice, having a cancer scare. And like, how do, what do, you, how do you live without God coming near? Have you experienced that? Do you know why? Because Jesus became man. Participation with the Spirit. So write this down. I have participation with the Spirit. I have participation with the Spirit. And you can talk about a lot of things. How does the Spirit participate in our life? Well, uh, if you're saved... Uh, the Holy Spirit participated in that because you don't have the faith to believe. You were given the faith to believe. The Holy Spirit ignited your heart to even believe in Jesus at all. There's none righteous, no, not one. None who come to God. No one approaches God, but the Holy Spirit awakens that need in our heart, and so we come to him. So that's how he participated. But, but more than that, man, the Holy Spirit doesn't just do that, but he participates with us in all of our life. I was feeling a bit discouraged this week. And so I, I just tried to do what I know I need to do. And I just run to the Lord. And, and I just like, okay, so I just finished 1 Timothy. I guess I'm going to go on to 2 Timothy. And so I picked up 2 Timothy and began reading 2 Timothy. And I just felt the Holy Spirit meet me and to challenge me, fan into flame the calling which, you, which you've been given. Paul tells Timothy, and I felt that was for me. I need to fan into flame this calling that God has given me. And it was so encouraging. And what was that? It was the Holy Spirit taking his word and applying it. You get it? 
Romans says this, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I'm telling you, man, the Holy Spirit participates. We're just walking through. This is what we have. This is what we have in Christ because he came and gave his life. He became man, fully God, fully man. I have comfort. I have um, encouragement. I have participation with the Spirit. It ends with this. If there's any affection and sympathy, affection and sympathy, both those words are really, really interesting. That first word, affection, John MacArthur uh, says this about the word. Affection is from splachna, which refers literally to the bowels or viscera, but was commonly used metaphorically of the emotions. Has this, have you ever, you ever felt something so deeply you felt it in your gut? I'm a little embarrassed to give this illustration, but I will. Um, I know I've mentioned it before, but when Courtney and I got married, um, you know, I felt some pressure about my reaction Everyone puts so much emphasis on the bride. You know, okay, I get that. But man, you're up there in front of everybody when your wife kind of rounds the corner and begins to walk down to you and everyone's watching you. How's he going to react? How's he going to react? How's he going to react? And I felt a lot of pressure, so much so. And by the way, if you're not married yet, this is a don't do this, okay? Don't do this. I said to Courtney, Courtney, listen, don't expect some big reaction to me when you come down the aisle. Winning husband moment, right? Right? And trust me, that's not the worst thing I've said to her. Okay, so that, but that's, that's the start of it. And uh, because, I, you know, I just, I just didn't want her to be hurt or let down or all this expectation I was going to react. So that's what I said to her. And then on the wedding day, I'm standing up there and she comes around that corner. And I mean, she, oh man, and my, literally my knees been weak. I felt it in my gut. Wow, what a beautiful woman. And she's my wife. And she comes walking down the aisle. And it, it was so weird. Like, like it just was like, I don't know why I'm going on about this, but it's like, you, you know, those movies where everything else fades in the background. That's just like the two of you. I literally don't remember anybody else in, in, in the room, not even the pastor. I just felt like it was her and I, and it was, but it was a very gut reaction. I mean, she's beautiful. I mean, of course that's the case, but, but, but I've had that other times. I, I've had it on Christmas mornings when the kids are all up and you got, you know, when they were little and uh, I remember the year that the, the Wii came out, and I had to fight to get the Wii, but I did. Tackled an old lady, but I got there, and I got that Wii. I didn't really. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like, like, you know, I fought for that, and then Grant opens his Wii, and then, you know, uh, Landon loved Geotracks, and there's Landon playing with his trains, and Madeline playing with her dolls, and, 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 and we're all just together, and you just feel it in your gut, like, this is good, and this is right, and I love this. So, so you have affection, and, and, and what this text is saying is that you have that from Jesus Christ for you. Listen, for you. That's what God feels toward you. Why? How did he prove that? He became man. He took on flesh. An eternal decision to take on a body for you, to pay for your sin, to die a death, even death on a cross. And the word for sympathy there is better translated, the word for Mercy. You have mercy. Now, it's a since then, since all these things are true, because all these things are true. But let me just pause before we get to the then and say this. I hope you're living in that. I mean, I really, really do. I hope you're not getting up and going on your day tomorrow without stopping and thinking about the fact that your God 
has encouragement for you. Jesus can come alongside you. You have comfort. He, he leans in close, speaks tenderly to you because he loves you. He's going to send his spirit to help you. He feels deeply for you. And it's hard to believe that. But I want to encourage you this morning to believe it. And then react appropriately. Because I have received so much from humility, here's the reaction. I will give myself in humility. Because that's the challenge here. Okay, since you have all of that, then you get to verse number two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love for others that God has for you, being in a full accord and of one mind, like we're all going to live this way, man. We're all going to be like Jesus. We're all going to have this love for each other the way that Jesus loves us. And that's going to manifest itself in this. And he really lays it out two ways. Not this, but this. So let's talk about the not this part first. So not this. He says in verse number three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So don't do that. Now, let me help you understand those words a little bit by, by having you write them down this way. That, that, the word there, selfish ambition, in the Greek is often used to talk about people who are on a political campaign. That's how it's used. So this, this is how I want you to word it. Not this. Let's get off the me campaign. Let's get off the me campaign. Now, someone said, that's kind of a double negative. Like, not this. So you want me on the me campaign? No. Come on. Get off the me campaign. So let's get off the me campaign. Uh, by the way, that word, let me help you understand. Thayer um, described the word this way in his uh, commentary. He said this, before New Testament times, this word is found only in Aristotle when it denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. And that's how the word's used. Paul exhorts to be one in mind of Christ, not putting self forward or being selfish. James 3.14 speaks against having selfish, selfishness or self-promoting in your heart. And if you're running for political office sometimes, you just kind of do that. And a lot of politicians, if they're doing it wrong, will do it this way. I, I received a call once, and I normally like, don't take these political polls, but I decided, ah, I'm going to take this one. And uh, this is how it went. They were like, okay, give me, you know, right on a scale of 1 to 10, how important the issues are for you. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I will vote for Bob because he loves the children of Indiana and wants to see their education grow. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, put in importance, I'll vote for Bob because Bob um, uh, loves the elderly and wants to be sure they have retirement and all these things. And then uh, give me, the, on a scale of 1 to 10, your, your ideas about why you wouldn't vote for Mary. Uh, you know, Mary hates the children of Indiana and wants to take away their education. And Mary, and it's like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, that's why I don't take these calls. Now I'm reminded of it. I'm going to sling mud at you so I can feel better about me. That's the idea. And... Uh, um, I'm going to talk poorly about others so that I look better. I'm going to put others down so that I feel better about myself. I was challenged by this because if I'm not careful, I can do that. But here's how I do it. It sounds better when I do it. I do it this way. I say, over here, we believe in the Bible. Over there, they don't. Over here, we're Calvinists. They're Arminians. Over here, where you get the idea? 
We can get very arrogant about our theology and what we hold right and that they're wrong. Over here, we're conservatives and they're liberals. And we're trashing them to feel better about us. We don't need to do that. Let's just say, let's not do that. Say that. Let's not do that. Let's get off the me campaign. Then there's this. The, the word there uh, is uh, sometimes translated vainglory. Uh, the word conceit in the ESV is sometimes uh, vainglory. But it's really uh, this. Let's get off the me pedestal. Let's get off the me pedestal. Because what this idea behind this word is that we want the glory ourselves. That's the idea behind the word. In other words, social media. Ooh, that, that didn't get a whole lot of response. Maybe more conviction? I don't know. But, like, come on. We, we, we do. We can't just give a gift for Christmas. we got to put on social media how we're giving gifts for Christmas. We can't just whatever. We have to let the world know we're doing it. And, and how often are we putting ourselves up and putting ourselves up and putting ourselves up? Not that. But this, let's take a look at the text again. Go back to now, again, verse number three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What? I got to read that again. But in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Okay, how does that look? It is amazing how often this comes up as a choice for us. And I heard it explained this way once. It was really helpful, like two doors. And one door is the me door, and one door is the you door. Think about it that way. I got the me door, and I got the you door. And how often am I going to say, I want what I want. I'm choosing me instead of I'm choosing you. So, okay, like think about this past week again. I want to like really apply this and really think about this. How am I doing this? Okay, well, you know, Monday, last Monday, I came into the office, and, you know, Scott and Linnea and Adam were all there, and how often did I, you know, me over them? You know, I don't know. Maybe I did. Probably did. Let's back up further. Driving to the office. No, let's not go there. Let's skip over that one. Let's go back to, but, like, that's, that's hard. Or coming home. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've been dealing with hooligans all day, and now I'm going to come home. <laughs> And uh, I'm with my family, and how often am I saying, no, my way, my way, I want what I want here, I want what I want. Why do you want to watch on TV? By the way, right now that answer is something Christmas, all right, from now until, I don't know, February. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, like how often, I want my thing, I want my way, and this is a challenge. And so how often, like, like think about life and what Jesus shows us in his incarnation is the better way is to choose you over me. Your thing over my thing. Now, you're not just going to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to do this. And that's not the challenge from the text. Paul starts with the what we have in Christ so that we would set our minds on what we have in Christ. And if you really want to treat others with humility, you've got to remember what you have because of the humility of Jesus. Because of the incarnation of Christ, I can experience Comfort from Christ 
encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation with the Spirit, affection and sympathy. I have all these things in my life because he was humble, and I want him exalted, not me, which brings us to the last point, the result from the person of Jesus, the result from the incarnation of Christ, this two becoming one, this this beautiful picture of uh, what happens. Really, uh, let's look at verse number nine. He dies a death on the cross, and then verse number nine says this, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is a Lord to the glory of God the Father. By the way, how many knees will bow, church? How many tongues will confess? Every tongue, every knee. But I want you to see the greatest good of the universe is right here. Check it. The greatest good of the universe is right here that Jesus Christ is exalted. The purpose of your life should be that Jesus Christ is exalted. And the world is telling you to exalt yourself. And your natural bent is to exalt yourself. But the beautiful picture of Christ is seen not in self-exaltation, but in Christ's exaltation. And when you live in the hypostatic union, the truth of that, the beauty of that, you experience what's yours because he took on flesh. Then, man, what you can do is you can show how great he is to the world around you as you live to see every knee and every tongue confess on this side of heaven. I want my neighbors to know Jesus before they die. I want them to confess Christ before they go. And I don't do that by putting myself first. I do that by putting Jesus first and others before me. And when I do that, Christ is exalted. And the purpose of my life is shown. And the beauty of Christmas is evident. All of that through what Christ has done. I'll get my water now. Yeah, what does a hypostatic union have to do with me? Well, everything. What does the incarnation of Christ mean to me? Man, it means so much. And it really should change the way we live every day. And this is a season where you're tempted to think about yourself. What do you want for Christmas? What's on your Christmas list? Well, love your family. Give them something. Star Wars. And then... um, I'm allowed one a sermon. The elders said one a sermon. That might have been two, though. Anyway, anyway. Um, but put others first. And do that as you live in the love of Christ. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for the truths that we have here in this text about Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the example that he gave, but also the very active participation that I have with Jesus tomorrow because he is God and he is man. The sympathy I can find in Jesus tomorrow because he is man and he gets it, but he is God and he loves me anyway. And Father, help me to live in that and then show that as I put others first, as I take that you door more than I take the me door. And bring yourself glory in all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.